welcome to the Red Dove Podcast. We are female storytellers and our stories center on Black women, activism, and mental health. I'm Rainy. I'm Liz. I'm Blue. And tonight, our spotlight on activism will focus on the Spirit House. Spirit House is a multi-generational Black women-led cultural organization, um, specifically in organizing tribes. It's really interesting that as an organization, they do focus on art. I think that art is an amazing way to express ideas, express and record what is taking place at that moment in time and then share it with others in a way of communicating that, you know, can be unique. They have a rich legacy using art, culture and media to support the empowerment and transformation of communities that are most impacted by racism, poverty, gender inequity, criminalization, and incarceration. Um, Since 1999, they have been working from their home base in Durham, North Carolina. Definitely small town, interested in supporting others, and true dedication, right? Like, being a home base. And I think anything that is startup and is not pushed by tons and tons and tons of money takes a lot of effort and dedication. Sharing a little bit more, they are truly working to uncover and uproot um, the systematic barriers that are preventing communities from gaining resources. They want to leverage and I'm sorry, hold on. Okay, so going back, this comes after talking about small town, Durham, North Carolina. Okay. Um, Yeah, so they're working to uncover and uproot the systematic barriers that prevent communities from gaining resources, leverage, and capacity that would, and leverage and capacity, excuse me, that would be necessary for long-term self-sufficiency. Their website goes on to explain and really break down what a lot of these terms, because they do have a really heavy mission, which is great that they have pinpointed an area and they want to work hard. But also, like, it's multidisciplinary, I would say, because and probably intern more so because all many of these areas connect, but they definitely have some big goals. Um, they've spelled out what these terms mean so that as people are supporting them, they can understand the um, vocabulary. And I think that's great now, too, that we are bringing those things to our attention so that we can have a conversation for growth rather than all be speaking from different with different terms and not being able to identify what the other or truly understand what the other person is trying to get across front-loading that information. Like before we even dive into all of this, let's make sure we're all on the same page about what everything means. Definitely. Definitely. If you are interested in checking out their organization or when you choose to check out their organization, you can read more and then also find out about some of the offerings that they have, such as trainings, Um, on their website, spirithouse-nc.org. So when you choose to 
look for more information about Spirit House, you can check them out at spirithouse-nc.org. Their website is pretty extensive and provides a lot of information about the areas that they're looking to empower and assist with their growth. So definitely, if you check out their website, you partner up with them, please let us know in Spirit House. If you're interested in communicating with us, please do. We'd love to hear more about your organization. All right. We're back. Part four. Ida B. Wells. Woo. Yeah. Blue was away last time on secret, super, super secret mission. Though we can't divulge. <laughs> but <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Blue leads such a much cooler life than I do. <laughs> It's just because I don't have any kids. That's literally <laughs> the only reason because I can make decisions and movements independently. People yeah. talk about it like it's like, you know, almost a dream. Like I remember one time I was talking to Liz and her partner about, I think I like decided to get McDonald's or something like that. Like I just got up and went and I was like, yeah, I slept in late. And then <laughs> I went, it wasn't even McDonald's. That sounds so cheesy. But basically, it was something I would consider I just randomly do. And they were like, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> you know, pre-plan this, get a babysitter, yes. nothing. You just rolled out and just did you, huh? Have you seen, oh, is it, uh, it's like a YouTube video of these two guys and they're telling these parents about like, how life is being single and these parents are like acting like it's pornography they're like yeah that's exactly what i told blue they're like wait you you just got you got to go to the bathroom and nobody asked you for help while you were there yes tell me more yeah yes you know wait again yeah somebody you made dinner and nobody told you they didn't want to eat it oh my god right (laughs) right Uh, well last week last we left ida she had her her new boyfriend Ferdinand Barnett and Ida decides to take roots in Chicago flip side all around the country lynchings are still going on and Ida puts one-on-one together and says if I go outside of America the information is going to have a bigger impact and more people are going to hear it like I actually need to leave to help in my anti-lynching campaign I think it's really cool for Ida to have that much wherewithal to, you know, be so selfless and to want to help her community so much that she's like, if I love it, I have to let it go. I have to get away from it to do more for it. You know, like that, that can be a really hard realization to come to that. I find that very interesting. Yeah. The dedication to the cause. So when Ida first went to Britain, there was like a group that formed, they call themselves Scrum. And it's um, Society for the Recognition of the Universal Brotherhood of Man. Oh, (laughs) I know. It's ridiculous. The titles back then. Yeah, but the acronym was not great either. Scrum. It was better. But then you heard what the name was and you're like, oh, it's better. Scrum. (laughs) Right. And they're still run by Mayo, Isabel Mayo, the British Karen, pretty much. And yeah, and she basically kicks out Catherine Impey 
from Scrum. She took away her like editor position and replaced it with a gentleman by the name of Mr. Celestine Edwards. He was originally from Dominica and he uh, migrated to Britain and got involved with Scrum. So Mayo basically kicks Catherine to the side. Catherine's not out of the group, but like she's like practically invisible. And Mayo replaces her with Mr. Edwards. So he's like a new fresh face and he did not see Mayo the first time around. So he's like totally taken with Ida's speeches and everything. And he brings it up at like, at like the local scrum meeting or something and says like, hey, we should get Ida back. And I don't, I still, to this day, I don't know why, but Mayo was like, yeah, great idea. Mayo writes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Mayo <laughs> writes to... <laughs> Well, it's also the audacity, right? But like, I won't go down a rabbit hole about white women, but I mean, right? It's like, I didn't do anything wrong, right? So so she writes to Ida, <clears throat> Ida's in Chicago, inviting her to come back. I love Ida. This time around, Ida took precautions. She's like, no. Because like the last time this bitch fucking like stranded Ida in Great Britain. So she said, I want my money up front. I want my expenses paid for. And then just to really, you know, like dig it in to Mayo, she says, oh, and I have a rider. You can't talk to me about Catherine the whole time. She's like, I don't want to have anything to do with this. Da, 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 da. Mayo, and that was probably because Mayo had sent her a letter requesting her to trash talk Catherine in the newspapers. Oh, my! this was like pre-Twitter. Yeah, right. <laughs> all this time it would take to do all this this beef and gossip. Like you must be really, really invested. Can you imagine their stress level? Like we literally can get stuff instantly. Yeah. They were waiting days for people to come at them and piss them off, and still <laughs> responded pissed off. <laughs> but it's almost worse because you could just be going about your day and like blah blah blah. Oh wait, I'm <laughs> reading about myself in the newspaper. Right. <laughs> 28 months later like what like, literally right <laughs> like, like well right damn like <laughs> but we have to do better as people right like we cannot that's why Ida was prepared at this point like <laughs> I already know you <laughs> I am fully equipped for this task and I'm just gonna make sure that the entire ball is in my court like not one bit of this spear is over the line at all because there's when you know better you do better absolutely you know so but so mayo is actually like um no i don't i don't accept your rider you must talk about catherine if i feel like it or whatever and ida's like puts her hands up she's like i'm out and then mr edward swoops in he's like "Hey, hey ida it's cool it's cool you do not have to talk shit about catherine so ida boards a boat and is going back to Great Britain. Ugh, wow. Um, she gets off the boat. She grabs her shit. Walking down. Mayo pulls all the funding for the tour. What? <laughs> yes. What? I didn't even check into the hotel. Yeah, because she's because she's being a bitch. Because she's like, oh, well, if you're not going to talk about Catherine, I'm taking all my money and I'm going home. Like you said the last yeah. time about again. Her. Oh yes. my yeah. god! Yes, I just 
it's good to know that we as a human species have evolved so much from this type of pettiness. Right. <laughs> I mean, like, oh my God, how, oh my God. And for listeners, I'm being very sarcastic right now. Right. <laughs> we could never there. imagine anyone doing this. This is just no, unbelievable. Absolutely not. I like to call this part four, the origin of the Karen. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> this is like, we got, we went all the way back. But Ida wrote in her diary and she was like, I'm not even mad. I'm not even surprised. And she just kept it pushing. And the other thing that Maya Bay, the author of To Tell the Truth Freely, which is the book that's the major source material for all of these Ida episodes. And if you'd like to read more about Ida's story, purchase To to Tell the Truth Freely at Harriet's Bookshop. That's Harriet's with two T's, bookshop.com. But if you're in the Philadelphia area, go check out the uh, fish in the Fishtown. Is it Fishtown? Um, Northern I... Liberties. Wait, is it North? No, it I guess is it is Fishtown. Okay, Fishtown. Yeah, it is more Fishtown than Northern Liberties. But I think they are trying to rename that area. Didn't they rename it? Maybe we just don't know the neighborhood rename yet. No, no, I meant like, am I, is it Fishtown or is it Fish Place? It's just Fishtown. Oh, it's weird. definitely Fishtown. It Town. Definitely it's just they're no longer... They're trying, they're getting away from the older, you know, like they've added all the gentrification. I guess, yeah. It's a whole other episode. Yeah. But or it's a new day. I don't know. You are so, you are my (laughs) optimism to my pessimism. (laughs) We are two sides of the same. I appreciate you. (laughs) But yeah, that's all Philly's all neighborhoods, right? So yeah, she's in Fishtown and Miss Cook just opened up her second bookstore in Collinswood, New Jersey. That's Ida's bookshop. So check them out. So Maya Bay kind of speculates and she's like, the other reason that Ida probably didn't want to pack it up and go home is because there was a white Chicago newspaper, quote unquote, mainstream newspaper that had agreed to publish all of Ida's quote unquote chronicles. Like they were going to take her whole, like she was going to document her tour send it to them and in like you know quick turnaround of like nine months they would like publish they would like publish it all and so to Ida it's all about like reaching that white audience this point of her life as we already like talked about she's been so shut out that's why she went to Great Britain but probably also because of this uh deal with the newspaper she's like oh we're gonna make this shit work yeah and she does because the first tour was already bought and paid for so she shows up, she does it. No surprise, she kills it. Is that when she gets real petty like I would have been like, oh, did you really like this? Too bad I can't do more because somebody had a temper tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, I'll be here all night. Right? Yeah. <laughs> no, it was in Liverpool and it was in front of 1,500 people and it was hosted by a man named Charles Aikid. He and his wife, hosted it and Charles was a young Baptist minister with the largest congregation in the city. So Charles Aiken is one of the major reasons that Ida's tour was like revived. So he and his wife were so amazed by Ida's speech that they offered to fund her entire tour. 
wow. So they set her up in their house and they, I would write in her diary later, it was like, became like her headquarters. Like it, all these people, cause it's like, again, technology, right? They had people like making the advertisements and like sending it out and all of this stuff. Second big reason is Catherine Empey. See, she was pushed to the side in Scrum, but she still kind of hung around and did shit in the background. She comes back and is totally supportive of Ida. She still had connections with the Quaker community in Britain. And through those connections, she booked the rest of Ida's tour, speaking engagement. Wow. Mm. So I thought this was really interesting. Like a lot of her speeches, she used the opportunity to draw attention um, to denounce lynching. And this was like at a time in Britain, Maya Bay writes that white, quote unquote, white slavery of working class girls in London, in London brothels was a major concern in the nation's news. So again, like Ida is very strategic and she's a leader, right? At this point, she knows she wants to get news in front of white audiences and she knows what's hot right now, what's going on in the newspapers. And she links the two between like lynching and like slavery. She's like drawing the international connection to get the audience to understand. But you know, one group that she had, the, the, the groups she had the hardest trouble connecting with, white Christian churches. Mm. Oh, oh man, how the times have changed. <laughs> <laughs> they had connections um relationships with american protestant churches super fans will remember these were the enemies of ida craddock mm-hmm. all the way back in the day so they're like besties with the protestants of the 1890s in america they were basically like talking shit about ida and like questioning like is this even a real thing or i couldn't believe that a white woman would make this up so ida being ida decides to take them on with her words Again, she's so strategic. Like she's always using these opportunities to advance her cause. She basically goes after two American Protestant leaders that were like the best known Protestant leaders of their time. One was a man by the name of Dwight Moody. And the second person was what the Red Dove likes to call the original Karen, introducing Francis Willard. Uh-oh. Buckle up. Oh, dear. I know. I'm so excited. Like we talked about the original Karen, maybe like one or two episodes in like so long ago. And we're finally covering her. Ms. Francis fucking Willard. (laughs) It's going to be a lot of minding other people's business. (laughs) Francis Willard uh, at the time, she was a popular leader of the women's Christian temperance union. She rose to leadership of the largest women's organization in the United States on the slogan, no North, no South, no sex, no sectionalism in politics. I think she was like credited for like uniting the North and the South. Not real, not her, but like that was like what her son. <laughs> Let's back up. Sorry. <laughs> I was like, where is this going? She's credited for uniting the North and the South. I'm like, just I'm the one lady. Hey, you heard it here. <laughs> just the one. <laughs> she like took that like that idea that like some a lot of people wanted the north and the south to reconcile after the civil war and exploited it for her own gain it kind of helped her rise 
in her little group, which what was her little group? White women who wanted to vote, also known as suffragists. She became the WCTU president in 1879, and she just ran on this whole platform uh, combining the suffragist movement with the temperance movement. Oh, fun fact, WCTU is segregated. Shocking. Hmm. Yes. Wait, that it's a volunteer organization that's separate? Segregated? If you want to give me your free time, you have to do it in a separate room from me. See, Mm. yeah that's the part i don't that's the audacity and the the participation yeah (laughs) like i'm not doing this with you if you're if i'm literally showing up and being degraded i don't understand so they would talk about the issues but like i would have to sit in the back or yeah you show up you're not in the room so we're just in separate rooms so we're not even in the same organization so why but pay me your deed to the right. <laughs> Like, wait, I paid to come. Exactly. <laughs> I got I'm in a taxi to come here to help you. Yeah. And I have to go in a different room. Right. Clearly, there's one side that's benefiting more than others. The other and... side. Oh. You guys might be surprised to learn WCTU was very unpopular with African-American women. They had very low membership. I'm glad. <laughs> I am very glad because so, I needed to know that the women that I have come from were not signing up for that. I was confused. I'm like, I know. Oh, Liz, for just a split second, I got real upset and real scared. Right. Like, no, please don't. Please don't tell me. Thousands. Right. <laughs> No, it was a goddamn epidemic. Right. <laughs> One African-American woman was quoted as saying that the WCTU is, quote, the antithesis toward the cause of race justice, end quote. Nailed it. Let's just define antithesis. A deep feeling of dislike or aversion. Oh, totally off. Okay. <laughs> so it's define it again. <laughs> I said it with such confidence. Right. I was like, it means the opposite. Right. No, it doesn't. There's a linguist <laughs> out there that's like antipathetic. <laughs> it is a deep-seated feeling of dislike or an aversion. So, so it might be a, a synonym to hate. Can you read the quote again? Yes. Yes. So hate toward the cause of race justice. Read the whole thing if you don't mind. Oh, one African woman. (laughs) (laughs) This is how it starts. This is exactly how it starts. We should have an outtakes portion. (laughs) (laughs) We will, and you can get them on our Patreon. Coming soon. (laughs) The little freebie. First one's free. Uh, One African-American woman was quoted as saying that the WCTU is, quote, the antithesis toward the cause of race justice, end quote. Oh, yeah. So the aversion yeah. to racial justice. Better known as white women. <laughs> I, you know, like, I really love the way she said that. Like, now I'm going to try to use antithesis in everyday life. Yeah. <laughs> no, that will be cool to see how you can use it. But no, Ida went after Willard on purpose because she's so strategic. Both Ida and Willard's name were coming up a lot in the British papers. 
So Ida, being Ida, with the excellent writing advocacy skills, takes to the papers and lays out her case. And she basically says, like, look, these American religious leaders like Willard, they've been silent on anti-lynching. They've been silent on Jim Crow. And at first, typical, like the white British people like could not believe it. Like, so Ida writes this article and she takes particular aim at Willard and she quotes and she she basically like doxes Willard because she's like, yeah, by the way, she wrote this article uh, where she supported the disenfranchisement of black men and also deplored the dangers that they posed to white women. Mm. That's who we're dealing with. The original Karen. Good Lord. Protestant religious leader saying like, oh, I believe I believe basically I believe in Jim Crow. I mean, so that's who. So when you say historically, when we say white women are the worst, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about all of us as a group. Oh, well, that's in the past. No, it's not. 55% of white women voted for Trump. We don't say that, white women. I didn't say that, white women. I, I said it. I said it. And I said it at our last meeting. Like, I'm, oh! I'm a part of the problem. Like, the white <laughs> She does women. always say she's a part of the problem. She does. White she does. women, this is who, if you don't like it, then do something about it. I'm going to say it again. 55% of white women voted for Trump. That's all you need to say. Don't tell me it's not still going on today. Willard is just the original Karen. So Willard responds to Ida's attack by um, linking up with one of her British friends who's like a super rich British woman. And the British woman writes an article in a newspaper uh, clapping back at Ida. It's like so roundabout and intricate it's like i'm gonna post this paper five weeks later like i'm gonna get my shit out like it's ridiculous but dedicated again <laughs> right they've got the time they've got time. Right. it's crazy how it's like the same thing though like literally conflict so much energy this this conflict ends happily because the british newspapers like basically sided with ida and said, like, these two, like, well-to-do white women are just ganging up on her. And so what Ida did actually vaulted the anti-lynching campaign even more into the spotlight. Because this is all news is constant. And now the majority of the quote-unquote white mainstream newspapers are now believing what Ida has been arguing and has been talking about for so long. So this is huge. So huge, in fact, that Ida gets invited to a party by one of the parliament members. Mm. She spends her last days in uh, Great Britain at fucking awesome parties with like dukes and like all these like high up people and they're British people. And they are totally not only do they believe Ida, but they want to help her with her cause of anti-lynching campaign. This is again like so. Okay, I got to just say this. I really need people to like understand what they stand for sometimes because the fact that this is a mission and this is an entire task for you to not lynch people. And again, we have more knowledge of this term of lynching now, like, come on, that's the frustrating part because we, this shouldn't be a, this should not be a story, you know? Yeah. Like ultimately. But I digress. So as a whole, let's just do better with the way we treat people. 
your hair. So the last night of Ida's stay, she has like the her friends throw her a huge going away party. And Ida's friends founded an organization called the British Anti-Lynching Committee. And it was designed to carry on Ida's work after she left Britain. It was made up of a diverse coalition of reformers whose ranks included 20 liberal members of parliament, as well as several members of the British nobility. And it was led by the Duke of Argyle. And uh, one of their core missions was saying that they were going to investigate lynching and mob outrages in America with the aim of giving expression to public opinion in condemnation of such outrages in whatever way may seem best calculated to assist the cause of humanity and civilization, end quote. How fucking cool is that? Like, that's the lasting impact. She went there, nothing went her way, and she fucking killed it. And that's that part about, we were talking off air, Blue, you were saying like, protect your energy, like what kind of energy do you wanna give out to people? Ida is choosing her energy to, to advance her cause. She never forgot the point of fucking going over in the second place. Not only does she kill it, because you have to understand all these newspapers now, they're the British newspapers, they're trashing America. So it's like, it's having this huge impact. And then her British friends start their own group. Like that's the lasting motherfucking impact. And that's why we love Ida so much on this show. I love that so much. And so what would happen like with this group real quick, because it's not a story about them, but they're pretty cool. Check them out. It was investigative journalism. They gathered facts, almost like a scientist, and would publish them. In turn, Black Southern newspapers, that's how they were getting their information about what was going on in their own goddamn country. Wow. So the impact, when you when you think about having an impact and am I doing anything, da, 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 you are. Mm, that's deep okay there's no easy way to break this to you Ida comes back shortly after she returns Frederick Douglass dies Mm. that must have been devastating yeah that was her mentor you know her friend she was she was like a friend of the family like she and his wife were besties like I think it's like the big moment of loss is like when it's the mentor that's like showing you the way for so long and she was in Britain. So she didn't even see him really that much Mm -hmm. and more sad news. Mm. Booker T. Washington, while Ida is in Britain is killing it in America. He's starting to get more and more speaking engagements. And these speeches were really popular with some white Americans. Surprise, surprise. So let's just get all the tears out right now. Third and final sad thing. Booker T. Washington gets unofficially anointed by prominent white, rich Americans as the successor to Frederick Douglass. Oh, no. I promise that's it. Three bad things. That's it. Nothing Uh, more coming. Yeah, it should have been Ida. He would have wanted it to be Ida. Absolutely. And so, so that's like, we're throwing in patriarchy a little bit, right? Or like not patriarchy, chauvinism, misogyny. Like, even though I, at this time, people are calling her the Joan of Arc of America. Like she's killing it national stage. 
et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of accounts that were written down of, of people at this time that didn't even seriously consider her to succeed Frederick Douglass simply because she was a woman. And instead, a minority of white rich people, quote unquote, anoints Booker T. Washington as the successor. And every time I think about this, I think about like sliding doors. Like what if it was Ida instead and how different would America look like today? Washington was receiving a lot of money from these wealthy white donors. And he was also rapidly becoming in more and more leadership positions in majority black run organizations that Ida is also in. Like this is the group, like it's a big group, but they were both in several organizations together. But Booker T. Washington is basically like stacking his cards, like his power. He's consolidating it. He's getting money from the whites and then he's leveraging it and getting power positions in a lot of black run organizations. And again, this is like that moment in the story of Ida where it's like she she's becoming the antipathy of America. Like she was the shit. And then Booker T comes in. All of a sudden, Ida is being called radical. She's it's being written up like what she's saying is so far fetched and just pushing her further and further to the outside and centering what Booker T did. And this it's like when you look back at Ida's life at the end of it, this is that moment. This is that moment where Ida goes from national prominence to who's that? This makes me sad. And this was a Maya Bay wrote, and it still holds true today. Maya Bay says that Wells was still using the protest tactics pioneered by the abolitionists to draw public attention to to an unpopular cause. Uncompromising in her politics, Wells was incapable of diplomacy, duplicity, or racial deference practiced by Booker T. Washington, whose accommodation leadership made her anti-lynching campaign more necessary than ever. This is for all you activists out there today. This is what Ida ends up doing. This is Maya Bay. She she describes how um, Ida's anti-lynching campaign, the success she achieved occurred without widespread public support for herself or her followers. And Maya Bay says, much like the abolitionists, who challenged the morality of slavery without ever amassing a large following, Wells and her supporters managed to stir up enough, quote, discussion, agitation, and censure, end quote, to create social change despite generating little public enthusiasm. So these are, this is some foundational principles for some groups. And just, you know, Red Devil likes to shine the spotlight on that. Ida Wells is definitely one of the ones where this all comes from. But so also same tactics or similar tactics or similar challenges that Black Lives Matter organizations experience today. I agree. I I was just thinking that like, that's how it is sometimes, right? Like it's this ostracization and this, I'd imagine it must feel a little like hopeless sometimes, but like what a true testament to the spirit that in the face of all that 
they keep going and they do become foundational to other movements that come along, you know, like maybe the country wasn't ready for where Ida was, but she laid the groundwork for when it was ready. Like she did a lot of that groundbreaking, backbreaking, difficult work. So seeds could be planted later. And what if that is just it? Like, what if we all identify that what we're doing is actually our part, right? So like, I think that you're so right in talking about the seeds. And I think sometimes we forget that the seeds have to be sown, planted. What if that was necessary? You know, like that was the, the task, that was the job. And this is also an excellent example of doing, just doing, because sometimes I think we're so caught up, like we're saying in the result that we miss the action. Yes. And Ida's also, she still has her allies in Britain, the British anti-lynching committee that Ida, that was formed after Ida left. They start flooding the American newspapers with all this information about lynching and sort of like forcing a spotlight on what was going on. And this started to to have to like to to really see the real change. Um, There was a lynching of six unarmed black men in Millington, Tennessee, on August 31st, 1894. It's now known as the Millington Massacre. And the Southern newspapers denounced the quote-unquote Millington Massacre and public outrage over the massacre ensued. And Ida writes this in her diary. She said that she took satisfaction in the signs of change in Memphis. So Ida did that going to Britain and creating these permanent changes and connections with people was this ripple effect. Like now the British papers are influencing what's going on in the South. This is the first time that there's like a white Southern newspaper denounced it, public outrage. And then, so then leaders start denouncing it. And again, it's a ripple effect of change. And once you stand up and say something, you may be surprised to find like 50 other people in the room think the same thing. Or we'll even try it, right? I think that sometimes we look at these acts, like even the idea of, okay, we'll just stop lynching, right? And this, some may consider this because Liz always knows I can go to the idea. I'm not by any means about to make any excuse for lynching by any, any, any means. What I'm saying is Ida had the ability to change people's mental health and helping them to understand when you get upset, when something angers you, when you don't understand something, when you are fearful, You don't have the right to kill someone, you know, like literally torture someone. And that is a large amount. That's a huge impact. 
Like really, truly think about that. You know, when you just, today you're mad. So that's what you go to? You know, that's, this is, that's a true change agent. Dum, dum, dum. Frances Willard rears her ugly head again. Because remember, she's in America. So Ida's back. Frances never forgot, like, little bee in her bonnet about what happened in Britain. And she, like, kind of becomes obsessed with Ida and, like, writing all this shit about Ida. And Maya Bay speculates it's because her group, like, the power and the money behind it was all kind of centered or the foundation of it was this, like, idea of, quote-unquote, social purity. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, this whole idea of social purity which is like the flip side of respectability politics, right? And it like centers like that the white woman is this pure thing in their opinion. And that's why they were slow to denounce lynching because they actually believed that white women were being raped. Mm-hmm. So Willard and her group members, they saw white female reformers as uniquely qualified for moral leadership of the world's people by virtue of the racial and sexual superiority possessed by white women. That's respectability politics. Self-anointed, I'm the moral police, the original Karen. Absolutely. Right? That's definitely the Karen because then she had, I could see if it was a white only organization, but she thought other people were going to be like, you know what? I need to be a part of that. That's crazy, the audacity. I was about to say, the audacity. Right? That's really deep. Like that, and that's why I'm saying it's mental illness because you're so self absorbed. Because what you're doing is ultimately harmful, like the way you're, duh, but you're clueless or, or dedicated to the harm. Either way, disgusting. But also, if you think like if you were also put in the center, you know, I teach this with when I teach To Kill a Mockingbird with my students, you know, white women are also put into the center of this universe of obligation. You know, it's a term that I learned through um, a curriculum called Teaching Mockingbird. And it, it and it's true, like white women are at the very center of the universe of obligation that we are obligated to protect. We are obligated to make sure that they are safe and like, yeah, their egos get big because society also puts them in that position on that pedestal that you are purity. You are these moral, all of these, Mm. you are everything that a woman should be, everything that purity should be, everything that we stand for. Mm. So it, it makes sense that their egos get inflated because that's all they're getting. Right. And it also makes sense that they wouldn't want to give up that, that status, even if it brings their own down, because at least they're not among the black women, right? Like at least they're still in that center of the universe, even if they'll, you know, giving up some rights is better than being on equal footing. Mm. Selfish. So, I mean, like, sometimes you have to like draw this out, but this is the important shit. And this is like, especially for you beginners, if this is your first time like learning about this, dive deep into Ida's story. Check out To Tell the Truth Freely by Maya Bay. It really um, lays this all out from a historical nonfiction perspective. 
And to understand Ida's story is to understand the struggle of Black Americans today. Like Ida is one of the OGs. But Ida being Ida brought her receipts. And she said, and I quote, all of my statements can be documented, unlike Willard's ridiculous assertions. She wrote, we have to give the facts and giving them no imputation is cast upon the white women of America. And it is unjust and untruthful for anyone to so assert. I wish it were possible not to make such illusions, but the Negro race is becoming a, as careful as to its honor as the white race. And so with that, she's calling on the WCTU. Uh, she's demanding them to pass a resolution condemning lynching. Of the Black members of the WCTU, uh, Wells got a unanimous vote. However, the white members basically gutted it and it just became meaningless. They deplored the quote-unquote lawless acts of lynching and also deplored the unspeakable outrages which have so often provoked such lawlessness. So we still see that today, right? It's like, well, this is bad. It's like saying, oh, well, I can't be behind your cause anymore because Black people looted a town. Mm. You know what I mean? It is not supportive whatsoever. No. And Wells wasn't alone at this time. She had allies that fired back at Willard's accusations. But according to Ida's diaries, she spent little time after her article in the newspaper on Willard. Willard, on the other hand, would spend the rest of her miserable fucking life trying to discredit Wells. And it's kind of sad if you think about it when you're the only one in the room yelling. Like Wells basically just leaves and she's on to bigger and better things. And Willard is like just sitting there just firing off these responses about Wells that's getting no attention whatsoever. She literally dies mad. Wow. That's terrible. That is a serious message for every single person that is focusing on something that is of no importance that is not where we want to stay. That's a lot of time. I think she lived for maybe five or six more years. Willard. And like, I'm glad she died mad, but she died mad. And the legacy of the original Karen still lives on. I'm going to be saying my own name if I'm going to use a few more years to think about something. It would be my own self. Right. You know what I'm, like, wow. Yeah, giving that, you know, it's so funny we are having that conversation off air about not giving energy to stuff like that. And I mean, to see this woman give that energy, I mean, literally Blue is just giving me advice, like, don't expend your energy that way. That's a terrible, you know, that's not going to do anything for you. Now hearing that, I'm like, yeah, you were very right. I don't, right. that's not what I want. I don't want to expend my energy on right. someone who doesn't, just, not that Ida didn't deserve it. I mean, that's not, I'm not, that's what I'm saying, but like. No, but for God. real, she literally was in, on her deathbed, like, Ida. Yeah. <laughs> like, what is going on? We need to do better because that's really what we want. You know, like we, it's awesome that we have these, people that will step up and say, hey, like, let's focus in on this because this cannot continue for the betterment of people, right? Like, that's where a lot of this focus comes from, too. It's for the betterment of us as a whole. And that's why I go back to the mental health aspect, because 
you know, my grandmother was has always been one that's like when the stress becomes a point, like if she hears you talking about something too much, she's like, get rid of it. Get rid of it, you know, immediately. Right. Like, <laughs> like, because no stress time. will kill you. This woman literally was dedicated. And that's the stupidity of racist. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. Well, Ida, on the other hand, she spent her time writing her next pamphlet. And we will reveal that name on our next episode. And if you like this podcast, please give us five stars and write a review. It really helps get the word out. Until next time.